0: I'm told over and over again by Miho how to sing from my diaphragm, Mm -hmm. and I just can't do it. She's like, give me a, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And, uh, you know, 30 seconds into Piano Man, my voice is shredded.
1: So did you ever have to do theater in elementary school or anything where they taught you how to do the different voices?
0: Uh, They definitely didn't teach me how to do that. I did choir in fifth grade, but I... I, I did theater in the sixth grade, but they had something where, for all those electives, you would do a six week rotation for theater, art, <laughs> Spanish. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, that's <laughs> same category. Uh, and then they had one that it was like kind of an engineering type class where, like, I think that's where we built like popsicle stick bridges or oh, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that kind of stuff, because then for your 7th and 8th grade year, you were going to choose one of those for the whole year to do. Um, And so I, of course, chose art.
1: (laughs) The one that didn't require projection of of your diaphragm.
0: No, but I wanted to do art anyways. Because I thought art should have been included as something everyone can do, not taking up time of an elective you know
1: yeah I'm let's see elementary when I went to public school for the first three years art was like part of the deal I don't think it was every day like we went to a different room than our elementary classroom to do it but it, we also went to a different room for music once a week and we went to a different room for PE yeah you know um, in junior high in Catholic school there was no art We didn't do any art class. Well, no idols. Yeah, probably. No graven image. Um, And let's see. Eighth grade, when I went to the Covenant Christian Protestant school, they had art, but our art teacher was Jewish. So that was pretty interesting because we did, like, a lot of Jewish-themed, like, uh, recreations of, (laughs) like, paintings that were done in the renaissance <laughs> stuff interesting like, that. like that's what we studied and then when it was um time for passover and stuff she led for the whole um school like an actual passover ceremony and we did all the foods and the unleavened bread and then the little horseradish squares or whatever that you have to eat and all that stuff um so that was pretty interesting and fun which is uh, like like we talked about back in the past Christianity episode, but just like, how there is this very close knit tied Protestant tradition to Jewish tradition.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was, I I think that would be kind of cool. And, but I can see how like Christians are fine with that. They, I don't know if it's a, just from my experience, but it seems like all the Christians I knew uh growing up would have seen that and been like, oh, isn't that cute? <laughs> they they don't know the truth, but you know
1: I mean it's half of the Easter story.
0: Yeah. Um <laughs> that's what I think is so fascinating about how separate people really make those things when it's yeah, you know, it feels like you should as a Christian celebrate those things like in a at least remembrance kind of way. Mm-hmm um, I'm sure there's like denominations that do though.
1: Well, that's what I would be, like. My experience growing up in both Bible church and Baptist church and going to Protestant Christian school was that they were, that was always very close. In, in fact, like old Testament stories were almost more drilled into us than gospel teaching type of stuff. Yeah. Catholic school, not the, not the case. Catholic school, the religious part of everything we Kind of started with the Council of Nicaea and like figuring out which books were going to be the the Apocrypha and we don't pay attention to those no book of Judas, no book of Mary Magdalene no none of that type of thing right well those were
0: written by phonies right
1: and and well and like the uh the Catholic Bible has more books in it than the Protestant Bible does,
0: yeah that was very surprising to learn in college <laughs> <laughs> that was that was cool
1: <laughs> but i I did get uh used as an example to all the kids in our religion class in Catholic school because I was the one Protestant that was going to the school. Mm-hmm. And, like, our teacher knew that I was a Baptist kid. And, um, like, uh, the, the term uh, test that we had to do at the midterm, I got the highest score on it in the class. And he, he brought me up in front of the class, and he just pointed at me and was like, to the rest of the class, he was like, look at this. You all let Mr. Campbell... A Protestant score better than all of you on this test when you've grown up in this tradition.
0: <laughs> that seems problematic. Yeah, so
1: I, I it's it's weird why I got beat up all the time. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's weird when they all like uh a couple weeks later all played played smear the queer with me and broke my collarbone at the bottom of a of a dog pile. God. It's weird how all that happened.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny as a kid how all those things just meld together. <laughs> holding a grudge over, so what a what a beautiful 1600s type story <laughs> you lived growing up. <laughs> I got to share with TC yesterday what the Catholic Church did to Anabaptists. Okay, uh, he he's was on board. With well, oh,
1: I I thought he was going to not believe it.
0: No, no, he he was very pro Catholic Church of taking back over the towns the Anabaptists had had conquered and oh you want to be baptized again okay how about with your hands and feet tied behind your back in this river
1: (laughs) is your god going to save you now yeah yeah well uh so that's what this podcast is today we're just going to do a recap of eric's visit on ijb little post game oh yeah i haven't listened yet so why don't you just tell me everything that
0: happened (laughs) uh well uh, I explained how their choice to have children was a mistake. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah.
1: What's never ending to find the beginning that came up for everything? Like kids with Dakotas, discover the
0: Definitely, Jake did ask me if I was going to, if we were gonna have kids, at one point, um, and I was just honest.
1: He's trying to find out if you're a friend or not.
0: Yeah, yeah. I guess. I mean, I I thought that I would be honest with them, and they would be like, "Oh yeah, okay, that makes sense." And I was just met with silence. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: guess you just don't want to know the full fulfillment that you could reach as a as a human being. You just don't want to have that magical experience.
0: Yeah. I mean, not to tell tales out of school, but I have asked them before uh, individually, kind of like their decision-making process. Because, you know, um, perhaps it's a character flaw, but I look up to them enough. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're they're cool, and they're so your elders. They're my elders. I respect them, um, and so I have asked them before, like kind of how did you reach the decision point or whatever and them explaining that they actually reached a decision point of saying like yeah I do want to have kids even if it was something that they said that they like kind of always wanted to do um yeah I was just like you know I've always said I'll probably have kids and then you know I don't know I was
1: way gung-ho about it in my 20s like when Nikki and I first got together it was like we, we could start this now because we got married so young right. and we can be like the parents that are like only 38 at our kids high school graduation and we right. have like a whole a whole other life that we live afterwards you know we're not going to be these right. 58 60 year olds like, with high school kids and so when like we had a lot of trouble um at the beginning trying and stuff um it was we didn't go the full route of like Figuring out, diagnosing-wise, why everything was going wrong at the beginning. It was more just like, ah, I guess just the timing's weird, and we're still young. We can do some other stuff, and we'll get back to this in a couple years. And so then when we finally did, when we were about to turn 30, we were kind of like, okay, if we're going to do this, we have to do it now. Like, I don't want to do this at 36. I don't want to do this when I'm about to be 40. Like, Mm -hmm. let's get serious. And that's when uh, Nikki found out about her endometriosis and... We went through the whole fertility journey. They had to do a big surgery with her to try to make it so that she could um, uh, have a fertilized egg implant in her fallopian tube. Um, And so then after the surgery, we had a short window of trying to get it to work. And that 18 months, it didn't happen. And, like, we had—it was going to be way— Lower percentage opportunity if we continue pursuing like an in vitro type of fertilization option versus other people, it's like fifty-fifty or you know, yeah, sixty-six uh, percent chance or whatever. But for us, it was going to be real low, and the expense of the of the process for for such a low possibility return, and we would have to probably do it multiple times. You kind of once you're in the fertility doctor's office, you kind of start to feel like. I mean, you're in the lab. You have control over whether or not these things get <laughs> fertilized inside their petri dish. And you're telling me that it's going to cost this much every time. And like, I c- what's what's to stop them from just being like, oh, none of them took. Time to do it again. And, and you just cashed my $15,000 and we have to do it again. Yeah, I, I, You know, that those types of things. Like, I guess, you know, honor system in all businesses and all that type of thing. But there's something that just uh, was a little bit not, I felt like they could really take advantage of us here and I could all of a sudden be looking at like 75 grand and like have nothing nothing to show for it type of thing.
0: Yeah. Is this also the time where, like, did you feel like you were just constantly dealing with doctors? Because like in your 30s, is that like oh, when yeah. you were going through trials and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah.
1: Like I had just, well, when I did my eye surgery trial, that was when I was 27 and then I had to follow up with that for six years as part of that study. Yeah, so yeah. like every few months I was going in and they're poking me and taking my blood and I would be in there for like a whole day. Yeah. Um, but, th- and that was just the thing. We were all just going to the doctor for like two years uh, constantly. Um, and then at the point, you know, where you're, you just reach that point as, as a human being where you decide, is it, is, is the effort and the cost, required to make a biological genetic replication of myself important enough to continue down this path. Yeah. And then you, that's when we start being like, well, you know, maybe if we're looking at this from like a societal aspect and a empathy aspect, then if we're at this point, if we really want kids and the only logical thing to do is like adopt a kid, mm-hmm. um, and, and, you're then against you start, adoption. and then you start learning about how, <laughs> how <laughs> fucked up the adoption system is and how like, um, there's no like, uh, real good Samaritan options in the, in the adoption scenario. There's no like, oh, you're just purely helping out a child in need. There's always like, uh, opposite side consequence downstream effect for whoever the birth parent was or the kids were, or the system that is running the adoption agency that might be cool to you, but they're probably pretty shitty to everybody else. Yeah. yeah. Then did you, if you like, you felt like a little icky about the, uh, the ability to manipulate the financial situation in the fertility doctor's office. Like, you start to really feel icky when you get into the adoption, you know, business, so. Yeah. Then you're you're just like, well, I've got six nieces and nephews, and all my friends are having kids. I think we're going to be surrounded by kids enough, and Nikki's a preschool teacher, and I don't know if she would be the best preschool teacher that she can be if she also had to come home to a house full of kids every day. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, you can... (laughs) You can find kids. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're <around>. everywhere. <laughs> yeah. No, we, uh, yeah. Like, we were at the, uh, we went to get some ice cream. As I was standing there holding my cone, I was just waiting for somebody to come tap on my car window and fight with me. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't happen. Instead, I got to see a three-year-old screech at the top of her lungs <laughs> and witness her parents just give her, like, a, shh.
1: Please, please, please God.
0: Please, God. <laughs> So
1: I know I know her screaming right now is has nothing to do with any of the nurturing I've done yes. in the first three years of her life.
0: Yeah, we were talking about that yesterday. So I'm in Dallas right now, by the way. Oh um, yeah,
1: me and me and Eric are recording for the first time in person.
0: Yeah, I get to look at this. I wouldn't call it a dungeon, even though that's what I've texted to uh, my wife and Justin. <laughs> um, but it's uh, we were talking about that yesterday. That like the way that genetics work with kids and the way that you your brain works with kids it's like you can screw them up entirely yeah but you may not be able to improve upon them at right, all right yeah the
1: the the nature nurture argument is more uh how how much can nurture totally ruin a human being and not how much it can potentially make a human being uh succeed more than their genetics would have allowed otherwise yeah
0: yeah <laughs> So that was also the other part of the the podcast uh, yesterday with TC and Jake. Essentially just going over my life choices and describing why uh, I think I got to where I was uh, in college. And then, um, yeah, getting uh, scolded, essentially.
1: Yeah. I guess that's the version of Pascal's Wager that you can buy into. Like, uh, if the wager is about, like, raising children, mm-hmm. you know uh like do you not have children because the majority of the options of having children is by ruining a human being's life
0: <laughs> yeah
1: so, so you just opt out so that you don't run the risk of of traumatizing another person
0: <laughs> i mean honestly the easy answer to give which is not my answer but the easy answer to give is like well you know i don't want to turn out like my father
1: oh exactly <laughs> yeah but I- but you probably will because you're just a genetic copy <laughs> in a lot of ways. Like, I feel in my chest all the shit that my dad had go on when I was a child and, like, the explosions and, like, the the crazy arguments and things that would happen in, in the household that were, you know, lasting effects on my childhood. Uh-huh. I st- I feel those same things well up in my chest, too. Like, now in a way that's, like, I see where he's coming from, but I have, like... This other side of living through it, too, as a child where I have to be the always throw the self-conscious awareness ahead of it to try to be like, okay, don't do that thing because you're you're just you're wired to do the thing that your dad did. But it's your job now to, like, get in front of it in enough time to prevent it from happening.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I definitely I now am way more conscious, especially being at home alone with the dogs. Like, when I'm by myself, I'm way more prone to cuss just, you know, over small things. Uh, You know, hitting my knee on the the door frame as I walk through it, which is a very annoying thing to do at 32. Like, you would think that my brain would understand where a door is and where my body uh, is. But... Well, you talked about that in the
1: reactions episode, how, like, you saying fuck after you if you like stub your toe or whatever, it's totally involuntary and it is part of the, uh, your brain coping with the pain signal. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's not like a conscious thing where you're like, Oh wow. I just stubbed my toe. Guess I should say fuck now. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But it's something that, you know, like my dogs will sense it and then be like, Oh, Yeah, yeah." and it's not, it's really weird because, um, you know, unlike certain parents, uh, I've like never hit my dogs (laughs) Mm. because I, I, I one know that it's only going to cause problems for them. It's, it's traumatizing for a dog to be hit by its owner. Um, You know, if you hit them in the head, like I may have witnessed uh, that can give them epilepsy. So our dog's epilepsy is not caused by being uh, slapped around. Just genetic.
1: It's just you're always flashing strobe lights in its face. Right.
0: Well, I listen to electronic music. Yeah. Uh, and and then, you know, where else would you, like, spank a dog, like, on their hips? And then they're just going to have hip dysplasia, and you're going to have to pay for that. Or they kind of like it, and they raise their tail, and they back up <laughs> into you asking
1: you to give them a few more.
0: <laughs> right, right. Um, so, like, you know, I've ta- you know, they're not the most well-trained dogs. You've heard them. But they... Are very loving and sweet and everything um, and so I've tried to take like the positive reinforcement route but whenever I stub my toe they like act <laughs> like, like oh no yeah the
1: monster's back
0: right exactly and I'm like I don't do anything to you guys what am I I'm very nice I and then I have to show them I'm like I just hit my toe that's that's what that is they don't understand because they're they're agile
1: huh. The cats don't freak out if I scream, but if I accidentally trip over one of them or come close to tripping over one of them, then they'll, like, ears down, like, spin around, you lay on the ground me? like, when you tried to kill me again, <laughs> like, you've done the worst thing you ever could have done.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the cats have not come out to meet me yet. That's strictly their mother's
1: fault for telling her them from a very young age that any other human being that they ever encountered would try to kidnap them. Uh, she's, she's reinforced that.
0: I now see that we have the same screensaver on our computers. Oh, yeah.
1: Apple screensaver.
0: That's lovely. There it is.
1: Oh, yeah. It, it went to screensaver because I'm actually looking at you in this room rather than looking at you on FaceTime.
0: Oh, yeah. So that's your first screensaver that's from the first a podcast. That's sc- your first
1: screensaver podcast
0: moment. Except for whenever you recorded past the ox. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I didn't record. That was all... Machine handle all that. Oh. I just got to sit there. I just got to be Eric for those podcasts, where I just got to sit there. And then someone had to do all the editing and posting and all that stuff after the fact.
0: I send you a check every month.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Ah, so last night, we went to a concert. Yes. It was at the American Airlines Center. Mm Mm-hmm. And, um... I Last time I was at the American Airlines Center for a concert, I think it was Kendrick Lamar when the Dam album came out. I think that was the last big concert I saw there because that, that is, was after Kanye. Yeah.
0: That's his most recent album, right? No,
1: he just had a new one that just came out oh. this spring, Okay, which is I'm really not, good. Yeah, it's really good. Um, he, fil- he has a video for one of the songs that's all a bunch of like the Fort Worth water gardens and stuff which is pretty interesting. Is he from around here? No, no, he's from Compton.
0: Oh, okay. My <laughs> neighborhood. Yeah, he's from
1: your neighborhood. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, apparently Compton and Gardena do not get along, according to Hood Vlogs.
1: So should you wear a Kendrick Lamar shirt when you're in Gardena? Or?
0: I'm sure it would be fine. Um, actually, you know, somebody on the street told me that Kendrick Lamar, I don't know why he was. Te- he just came up to me and was like, <laughs> talking about Kendrick Lamar is from Compton. Um, do you call it Bompton or Compton? I would call it Compton. Okay. What is Bompton?
1: Well, if you're a blood, you can't say C sounds. Oh, okay. So you call it Bompton.
0: Yeah. No. If I, you're a Crip, you can say Compton. I do not uh do not subscribe to gang life in my personal sphere. All right. You're not go going by Arab Beal now? No. Yeah, I guess Beal would be okay.
1: Beal's okay, but Arab, you would—that's be your new name.
0: If you're a Crip, can you not say B? Or if you're a Blood, can you not say Bs? If you're a Blood,
1: you can't say C's, but if you're a Crip, I don't think there's a phonetic requirement.
0: Uh, and the Bloods switch out C's with K's sometimes, right? Yeah, because you
1: can't put a C inside of it anything. Right. So you, if you have to have a word with a hard C, a consonant sound, then you do the K.
0: Okay. Um yeah. Interesting. I don't I'm not in a gang. <laughs> you
1: you could join though.
0: I mean, maybe. I get, remember get jumped in. In the uh in my high school there was a guy that he uh said that he was part of uh the North Dallas Bloods or whatever. Okay.
1: The big gang around us when we were in high school was VNS. Did you ever come across VNS?
0: No. What does that stand for?
1: It was like the uh, it was like the Asian gang at our high school, and they had a lot of representation around like the Farmers Branch Carrollton area, but they also had some like uh, Mexican members. They tagged everything VNS what? everywhere
0: does it stand for something i we're don't remember sure.
1: what VNS stands for it has
0: to stand for something but yeah no
1: very nice
0: soldiers yeah
1: very nice soldiers yeah
0: um i think like denton at one point freaked out whenever i was in middle school they were like we no more red no more blue mm-hmm. at schools there's too much too much gang activity going on and that was at the time that there were two high schools. There's Denton High, that's I think purple and white, maybe purple and gold, and uh, and then Ryan High School, which is red and blue. Yeah. And I'm like, you're gonna No more patriotism. Outlaw this entire school, I guess. But yeah, they like made us for like a semester. You could not wear uh, red or blue unless you were wearing both.
1: <laughs> that way no one knew who to shoot.
0: Right. There was no <laughs> problem at uh, Crownover Middle School. <laughs> it was
1: <laughs> Hey, you know, all of our cool kids who had trench coats got them outlawed after Con- Columbine.
0: Yeah, there were some trench coats trench coat kids in my high school. I think by the time that I was through high school they allowed trench they come coats back, back around. In. But they were people who wanted to s- look like stop picking on me kind of okay okay um which understandably i i didn't like being picked on
1: (laughs) is the funny thing i think i've told this before but the all the kids in my school that wore trench coats (laughs) which makes them probably exactly like uh dylan klebold and what's his fit adam but like
0: you have a tattoo how'd you forget his name right
1: uh the uh (laughs) They were all the biggest dorks. Like we were in chess club together, and we were in debate team together. Mm-hmm. And like they would wear a black trench coat, but they would also wear it with like an Indiana Jones style like detective hat. Yeah, <laughs> and, they were like, guys. they were like <laughs> the biggest, the biggest dork nerds playing Magic the Gathering over in the corner during lunch and shit. Like, not not one threatening bone in any of their bodies.
0: Yeah, it was. And they were like,
1: these are the violent ones that are going to kill everybody in the school. Not these jock assholes that have already been beating everyone up all the time.
0: <laughs> Believe it or not, the psychos at my school all joined ROTC, junior ROTC. Yeah, so yeah. That was the way that they were going to. There were like some people that were cool in it, but the people who were going to be like, better not mess with me. It's like joining the junior ROTC. going to have the full weight of the U.S. military come down on you.
1: Yeah, we had the ROTC as like an option if, uh, like, if you were fucking up at school or you had like behavioral issue or you got in a fight or if they found drugs or whatever, they would want to send you to Grimes, which was like the alternative education um, campus. Uh huh. Um, or like if you got pregnant, that's where you were sent. Um, but like you could, I th- think you could do ROTC as like an avoidance, as like. After oh, your first yeah. strike, you could join ROTC and, you know, they'd shave your head and set you straight and then you wouldn't have to go to Grimes.
0: Yeah. I I can't remember the disciplinary stuff. They definitely had a different school uh, that you would go to if you were like a repeat offender. Did you have in-school suspension? Was that a thing when you were in high school?
1: Um,
0: or was that invented a few years later?
1: I feel like people were just suspended. Like, not, you couldn't come to the campus. I
0: feel like they, unless it was, like, a dangerous thing, like, you jumped. I mean, that guy that was said that he was in the gang or wanting to be in the gang, he, like, messed somebody up one time. Jumped Mm -hmm. him, as we were moving from the field house into the school, there was, like, a two-door system. And so everybody was walking over at once, and he, like, just grabbed a guy. I don't know why... And up against like the, it wasn't a brick wall. It was a rock wall. Like, you know how Texas will sometimes have like, this is the natural stone of whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just like grabbed the back of his head and just kept sh- like slamming his face into Jesus. it. Uh, that was pretty wild. Um, so he did not get in school suspension. He went straight to the like juvie school. Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody else would be in school suspension and sounded like. They did not learn their lesson from going there.
1: <laughs> I wonder if in-school suspension is a thing that has to do with the truancy laws, like, like now, mm. like for schools to get funding, like yeah. your kids all have to be in class, and they you have to like show the attendance in order to like get the full funding for your school. It must be so. Maybe you don't get a demerit for having somebody not in school, which could fuck up your funding if you have them all sit yeah. in school suspension.
0: That makes sense because then it's if you have too many people, I'm sure there would be something before that system that you could claim, oh, this many students are suspended. Mm. But if if you're a school that has, you know, a bunch of no
1: show truant kids
0: or just saying we had to suspend this many kids, then the state's going to be like, well, you're obviously not doing something right.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't know if the state would really care that much nowadays. Whoever's doing it. Well, not nowadays. Maybe if it was a private school. And they were getting vouchers.
0: So how was the contest, the concert?
1: The contest at the concert. Yeah. No, the concert was excellent. I, I've been Jones to see Turnstile for a long time. I missed them the first time they came through Dallas, or the last time they came through Dallas, because uh, I was at Garth Brooks in Notre Dame with TC. Um, but this time they're playing now at the AAC instead of a small venue, so it was pretty cool to see them like at giant volume, with that level of like production behind them, mm-hmm. that was really awesome. Um, like I, I couldn't tell very much about how the crowd was was getting off for them, you know, because usually they really bring like the hardcore pit and circle pit type of audience, but. It was like predominantly all Blink 182 fans. And so I, I don't know how much yeah. they were ready to like go off or if there was going to be like this contingent of like hardcore turnstile people that were there. Now, the reason, the only reason we were able to get tickets to this show is because I, as part of the Turnstile fan club, and I got pre sale access code uh, to buy up through the turnstile sale. Okay. Um, so that's why we were able to get like face value tickets early before the general blank sale went on and then it all like skyrocketed because of the ticket Mm press ticket master pricing system. All of a sudden the tickets went from like 180 bucks to $570 or something like that for the top nosebleed
0: seat. Yeah. The, I mean the seats were great. So thank you for that. Appreciate it. It was the turnstile stuff. Like that's why I didn't feel bad like standing for turnstile because Most people seemed like they had no clue who Turnstile was. Yeah, yeah. So it it seemed like they, if they were, didn't want to miss it, then they could have stood up too, because you would have wanted to see Turnstile. Right, right. But if everybody's just sitting down, I mean, most of the arena was sitting down for Turnstile. There were some people. There were three people that were down, uh, not the stairs that we had taken up, but or down, but uh one more over Mm -hmm. there were some people standing at the rail kind of at the bottom there and they were like kind of dancing and stuff like that but the the usher or whatever came down and spoke to them or something but i think
1: (laughs) no dancing at the concert
0: right yeah it was uh so it was it was kind of strange but it was i mean i could hear like the conversation behind me kind of being like oh they're not bad like (laughs) yeah 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 and um i was talking with jake about turnstile Because for me, like, you know, I've only listened to electronic music since I was uh, 16 or so. Mm -hmm. And the turn into hardcore music was uh, talking with, like, you and Justin and trying to get into it. And I told Jake, like, you know, uh, I bought in real hard on the political uh, hardcore stuff. And, you know, I was telling him, like... I don't know if it's because I am not interested in music that is, like, self-introspection or expression of emotions or whatever. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like I'm at a pretty good place, like, understanding myself and not really needing to, like, find a way to express uh, frustration or say like you know why is my life like this or why you know yeah like the turnstile music to me and i haven't read a ton of their lyrics but that's what it feels like it feels to me like an offshoot of pop pop punk um, or like emo yeah like it was it feels like a natural evolution of that stuff and jake was like it feels like the opposite way to me like a hardcore band is how do we get on the radio yeah yeah that's um, that's
1: the way that i view it too like they have their first two records are more punk and a more a little more um political irreverence and things like that that are inside of that message mm-hmm. this late, the latest record that came out in 2021 that everyone's so jazzed about glow on it was the f- maybe not the first but like the first that really broke through of like a hardcore band being like There is problems with our scene. Like hardcore has problems, a toxic problem with the scene. Like Mm -hmm. it is a lot of toxic masculinity. There is not a lot of inclusion for females or other people of different genders or people of different sexualities. And in fact, like there is a whole segment of hardcore that is directly against that. Mm -hmm. And like even if it's like a cool band that seems to be down or progressive or with that stuff, the audience that goes to that show is Makes that show inaccessible to other people because they show up and they like want to throw fists in the in the pit. Right, and they, they make it uncomfortable for a lot of other people to be able to access that music. And this album, especially with the lyrical content and everything, uh, so much of it is about you have a place. Like mm-hmm. it is trying to build a big tent for all these types of people to come together. And yeah, we play hardcore music that's going to make you want to. Want to move around and throw your body around, but also we're intelligent enough. We've been around long enough in this that we know how to manipulate the energy of an audience with this the sonic thing that we're going to put out there, Mm -hmm. so we can get you all riled up. But that might only be 90 seconds, and then we're going to switch on you, and it's going to be a totally different vibe. And that's going to be all of a sudden this like dance pop thing for for 45 seconds, and it's a little bit of something for everyone, and it. I don't know, it's, it's, they're, none of, they don't seem gatekeeper at all, and they don't seem like they're trying to hold a certain segment of the, of the population out of their, out of their tent.
0: Yeah, it's, I've heard a little bit, because, like, now, because of the music I listen to, and because I'm, you know, plugged into the Matrix, I get pushed, like, Instagram videos or whatever, talking mm-hmm. about hardcore scene stuff, and, the few bands that i listen to are you know i haven't seen them live but i cannot imagine that they're uh gatekeeper or uh, but i i have seen stuff like on uh reddit like uh, the band that i'm always trying to get you to listen to and you said no no it's too hard on my ears <laughs> straight from the path Straight from the path they've got is, great videos yeah i love them um, and I still can't tell if they're Christian. I don't think they are. I don't
1: think they are. It's just the way the name seems.
0: Yeah, they're one of their albums does seem suspicious, but <laughs> um, we'll let that one slide. Uh, they I forgot what I was gonna say. Something. Oh, they had a song. I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's them that is talking about like, uh, essentially like. Do you feel like a man because you have a gun like, mm-hmm. you know, you're just going to use it to kill yourself like it's not. And obviously gun control sort of uh, song, which I go back and forth on from a leftist perspective. But for the most part, I think uh, America has a gun problem. And I
1: don't know which jury's still out.
0: Right. Well, you know, maybe on this next shooting I'll change. Yeah, may, I, maybe
1: next fourth of July. Let's let's look at those numbers again and see if it's a real problem. Okay,
0: I'll put it in my calendar. And I saw on um as I was trying to look up like the meaning of the song because I'm like, I think they're, you know, saying this kind of stuff. But I wanna make sure there's somebody on Reddit like, Is straight from the path really against gun control? I like or really for gun control? I love their songs, but like, you know, I I believe in the second amendment and just seeing that kind of conversation happen, like, Whoa, you missed, like, they're not (laughs) (laughs) pro constitution. (laughs) (laughs) Like that kind of stuff really throws me off. Like, you know, um, not a huge fan of the guy, but seeing the interview of, uh, Chris Cuomo with Adam Friedland. Oh yeah. And seeing that, uh, Chris Cuomo's like saying, like quoting idols songs. Yeah. And I'm just like, Good God, dude. Like, you are so oblivious to it then. (laughs) But knowing that most people are oblivious to it, that was, like, eye-opening to see last night uh, in the music. Because it's, you know, I would love to talk about Turnstile some more, but just jumping forward to the Blink stuff, like, seeing that entire uh, arena, all different ages, like, the, the people in front of us I swear the guy was like late thirties and the girl his date was like mid Mm twenties. And he was like having an older man emotional nostalgic experience. Yeah. And she was like, Yeah, I love these songs kind of experience. Yeah. But seeing all these different types of people that like you know, like there were and we're in Texas, so it's gonna happen and it just makes me cringe Seeing people, like, in the super fratty, like, you know, the super short khaki shorts and then, like, the polo shirt that's... We're not far know. from SMU. It was just right. a
1: short train ride for all those SMU kids to make it to the age. Yeah, this guy was definitely... They didn't take the in train. A, in a fraternity, <laughs> no,
0: in a fraternity at SMU. And seeing that guy, like, like singing Adam's song or the one where it's like, I can't even... I not going to be able to recreate it, but all their like emo songs yeah, yeah. talking about like having a hard home life or whatever. And you know, everybody who's listening to this knows some of my uh, upbringing. And for me, whenever I discovered those songs, which was much later in their career, I was like probably a junior or senior in high school whenever I started listening to blink music. So I lied. I didn't only listen to electronic music, but <laughs> um, well,
1: I mean, you had, you were trying to work through a divorce, so you were looking for something that might speak to that.
0: Right. So I, I listening to those songs, it was kind of like, you know, uh, like, like those songs, do you remember Simple Plan had a ton of songs yeah. that were, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I didn't listen to it like, somebody understands me. But it was a way that you could like listen to it full volume with those nice Rockford Fosgate subwoofers mm-hmm. and feel like, okay, like. You know, I understand that this is not normal. And once I'm able to like break free of this kind of stuff, then I'm going to. Seeing the frat guy singing those songs, Mm -hmm. just like, yeah, dad didn't let me play lacrosse that year. You know, like that kind of.
1: Or or dad forced me to play lacrosse in two different districts that year. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: And, you know, it's so weird seeing other people emotionally connect with stuff that you're like, like, I'm not in a trauma off but right you know i feel like i deserve to listen to those songs
1: (laughs) (laughs) well and you know it's one of those things where i think we talked about this before but like uh the you you might have a lot more uh privileges as a as a wealthy individual but it doesn't necessarily make you immune to like a traumatic traumatic home life and or if anything you might have like uh certain dynamics that other people in social stratus don't experience because like your, your parents are specific type of, uh, assholes who have such high levels of ambition that got them the level of income that they make, that they really ignore you and really like have, have shitty stuff that goes on in the household. So it's tough to like exactly have a trauma competition with people, but yes, it is, it is, um, somewhat, uh, unnerving when people from uh, much better means and privilege want to claim that they have some sort of uh equal equal experience
0: <laughs> yeah it is weird and i know that people everything's relative uh anyone can have a horrible upbringing i think most people probably have a horrible upbringing you know if you really think about it um but i don't know there's there's something maybe i feel different because i like totally broke away from my parents Mm -hmm. that um you know i i just feel like you don't have to be in this box that was created like you don't have to look like a frat guy at smu (laughs) you know yeah um but you know as as everybody has learned like i was in a fraternity in college i was the guy who wore like uh, you know, Volcom tank tops and I had skinny jeans and (laughs) a white belt and, uh, rode my BMX bike, rode a Haro around campus. Um, because I didn't want to spend money on gas, because I didn't have you know spending money really.
1: You're spending it all on those fraternity dues. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. No, that was my dad was totally fine with the fraternity.
1: Okay, well, you should have just told him you're getting in a fraternity and had him just send you the dues, and then you just not do it and you just keep the money.
0: I would have been caught so fast and <laughs> probably killed. Um, yeah, was, and then it was, you know, I got to the point where people were. Uh, the people who came in and became like the the cla- or the president or whatever the fraternity and everything they like were trying to kick me out of it cuz oh yeah i did not fit in with their style and stuff so that's like like i remember standing outside of a a meeting one time and listening to like six or seven of the frat guys standing around all wearing salmon khaki pants or not khaki pants but salmon pants yeah. like dressed Ish fratty pants, and just going those polo, those polo Ralph Lauren, the oh Vineyard Vines, oh yeah, that's cool, that's good. And I'm just like, what the hell? (laughs) (laughs) Like, why am I around these people? Yeah, my my fraternity experience was not like that at all.
1: I was I was part of the fraternity Zeta Beta Tau, which is a Jewish fraternity Mm -hmm. at uh, UTD. Again, not Jewish. I think we only had two Jewish members because majority of people that go to UTD are like from India <laughs> so uh-huh. it's like, <laughs> tough to find that many um, but we never had like like uh, the other fraternities on campus certainly had like you have to go buy this Tommy Hilfiger shit you have to wear these th- things all the time that was not the way our shit was at all like if yeah. anything like they would make a t-shirt for the year that said ZBT on it and they're like wear it around campus if you if it's clean
0: <laughs> yeah like, that
1: was it Like most of our stuff was just like we had adopted like four different segments of highway in Richardson. And so we would go and clean that shit like once a month, have to do all that stuff. We were like the canned food drive fraternity that our big thing was we would build this giant pyramid of canned food, like in the middle of the uh, student union building. And like we wanted to get people to donate food to like the food bank, but it was really just this like, (laughs) machismo thing about we could build a really big pyramid out of (laughs) cans. It was like our version of the Aggie Bonfire, but ours was like, ours, you know, wouldn't kill anyone, and it would actually go to feeding people. Yeah. (laughs) So, but all of that was basically just so that in the fall we could have fucking crazy parties.
0: Yeah, I mean, parties, there's no fraternity houses at Baylor, and there's no parties allowed, fraternity parties. You cannot, I mean... Obviously it goes on um, and you just are the way that you would get around it is like, say like, Oh, I started having a party and what everybody I talked to every week showed up like, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was, if you had a party with more than three, I think it was more than three members of the same organization, including like the student government kind of stuff or whatever, then that was considered an official party and it had to be registered with the school you had to get a permit so but it was really just a way that they could crack down on whoever they wanted to kick off campus yeah we had the apartments
1: at utd so everything was like there weren't dorms anyway there weren't fraternity houses but everything was just a big apartment complex that went around the whole campus yeah and so like people were living there in the apartments. A lot of them were, like, graduate students that were, like, in their 30s that were going to UTD to be graduates. So it's not like it was full of freshmen and shit. Um, But that's where all the parties would go down. Like, you know, if you had one of the bigger apartments, like a quad apartment that had four bedrooms, and usually that would be, like, four of the same uh, fraternity members would have an apartment like that. And then you'd use that as, like, a huge party apartment. Mm -hmm. And But, like we would be friends with everybody in that building of that apartment comp part of the apartment complex. And we'd let everybody know and invite them all to the party. And the only times they ever got broken up were by like the campus cops. So we never had to deal with like full on Richardson police, but I did get an MIP one time.
0: (laughs) Of course. The, the campus cops were the worst ones to be busted by um, because they were going to take everybody's student ID and report it to the college. (laughs) Um, the, Like Waco cops, if you were going to have cops called at a party, they were the ones to deal with. But if they, you know, were jerks about it, which a cop, no way. Yeah. Uh, Then they would call the campus police to have them show up. Um, But, you know, it's. I say all that to say. It's very weird seeing people um, gelling with music that I. Sort of identify in a certain vein. Right. You know? Um, But in the, you know, so in listening to hardcore stuff is new for me as I've described a thousand times. Um, But what is like the, I wish that I was able to recognize the turnstile songs better Mm -hmm. because they are good. They're fantastic live. Sounded amazing. They had tons of energy and their songs are like good. I like their album Glow On and I've listened to like some of their earlier stuff. Um but what what is their vibe? Like, <laughs> you know, what is their type of music? What are they singing about?
1: Well, I the the message in like uh the, like the a bunch of the songs are like even you were talking about Underwater Boy, it's yeah. very simple song, there's not much lyrics to it, but like the idea is uh It's kind of an emo song of, like, you're in your own head. Mm -hmm. You're either in social situations or you're at your job or you're at school or whatever. But that is the thing that is preventing you from... Everyone's going to love you, you know? We're we're all here to support you type of thing. Like, we just want to love you. So it's okay if you get out of your own head and, you know, be yourself. If that's fucking weird and quirky... Um, it's better than being an underwater boy, you know. Don't like mm-hmm. be. We're we're all here to to welcome and accept this. And then the other, I think that's the other. Like, there's no like trying to instigate people to fight in any of this. Any of their lyrics, there's no like being pissed off at, at a girl or being pissed off at like some some people. Like, there's no like man, you know, we're just always on the edge. Don't fuck with us. We might fight. It's going to end up being a fight if you fuck with our crew type of thing. It's not, it's the total antithesis of that in the lyrics.
0: Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, that comes across. The The Underwater Boy song is just, I like shared it with Miho because it's kind of surfy. Mm-hmm. and And she, like the first music she really listened to when she moved to the U.S. and she was in California, she listened to the Beach Boys a ton. And she, like, loved, you know, driving up PCH. She doesn't care about being in traffic because that's more time to get to listen to songs and sing and everything. Um, which is, you know, astonishing to watch when you come from Texas and you're just pissed off the whole time. Yeah, that yeah. you're in traffic. Um, really changed my perspective on that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, and so their music feels like that. It, but it also, it's one of those things that I'm sure every band deals with who starts to get commercially successful is you get to a point where, and this is in line totally with your band, mm-hmm. that you get to a point that more people are going to listen to it than resonate with it or understand what you're essentially trying to yeah. say. And it feels like Turnstile is starting to get to that point.
1: Yeah, yeah. like. You know, there's the Jorts and I were even talking about it at the show, but just like uh, you, everyone can be a certain level of musician. Like, you, there's all the people that are famous aren't mm-hmm. the best musicians in the world. It's yeah. not like they're better than Jorts' is at playing anything, um, but the it's there is, like, those certain moments where it's either shit just is popping off and you are not in control of it and it's just happening all around you. Or you're at the stage where you're like, if I'm going to make this thing in music, then I need to not be such an idealist about all of the things that I think are important. Uh I need to, like, open my perspective. And whether that's, like, a total sellout job, like, you go you're like can't get signed on a regular rock label so you go get signed on a christian rock label and pretend you're a christian band because that's the way you can make money and tour the world yeah (laughs) um or like you're really cynical about music and you're like i'm good i'm just gonna go to nashville and write the same nashville country hit over and over and over again try to get in that scene um or it's just like we can we've played a bunch of shows and now we've figured out like oh my god when we do this certain type of thing the audience goes crazy like they eat it up and when we do all this stuff that we really like to do in the practice space like it's not connecting with them so maybe we should do more of the stuff that we noticed on the last tour that like everyone like was fucking soaking that shit up and let's lean into that and see what happens because when we play the shows where a ton of people are going crazy because they're in that moment with us and we're all in like that flow state together that's the fucking magic so how do we just do that and if you can do that while still staying somewhat true to yourself that's like the perfect the perfect balance that you can go out there you can get all the amazing feelings and you don't feel like you've compromised your integrity but sometimes like I can totally understand how like if you don't want to have a regular job and you would rather do this for a living like you have to sometimes you have to make those type of integrity compromising choices in order to do this as a living rather than going and being an accountant or something else that you would feel would be worse a worse outcome for your life than pretending you're in a Christian rock band
0: (laughs) yeah I mean maybe that's I'm just such at a point and I'm extremely lucky, lucky to be at this point because most of it is uh, because Miho's made it possible financially. Um, but I, I feel like I spent so much of my life trying to be like, this is the way that I'm going to succeed by doing this mm-hmm. kind of stuff or, or not expressing myself. I, the thing is, and I feel like I didn't express this very well on IJB, but... I was pretty unique like as a kid. I definitely I didn't mm. fit in. I did, you know, I through high school. I played football, uh I studied and did really well at school and I did art and those even in Denton did not flow with each other you didn't
1: have a bunch of crossover friends that were doing all the same stuff
0: (laughs) no there was nobody on the football team that was in the art class um by the time that i had gotten to that level there was nobody in the art class that did any sports at that level um and then the people in all like in my ap calculus class and stuff like that it's it's people who are like i'm in this so that i can get a college credit Yeah, yeah 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 and so many people in those classes like they stopped Uh, there were there were a few there was one guy that went to like texas tech he was huge he was like six seven uh played o-line at texas tech um so he was really smart he was he was in those classes but other than him and we weren't like the closest of friends Mm -hmm. um, but there was nobody who stuck with football that long i had friends that i was really close with from the time of middle school that uh he was he loved football he loved playing it but he was like I want to play hockey in college, like roller hockey. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so he quit football so he could just focus on developing that skill. So And he played at UNT, I think, maybe the four years he was Yeah, they had,
1: like, a traveling team. And Stephen F. F Austin and Sam Houston had teams, too. A&M might have had a – they were, like, club teams, though. They weren't, like, uh, the football team at the university. It was, like, a thing you tried out for, but it's not like you got a scholarship to do it.
0: Right, yeah. I mean, but that was really cool to, like – have somebody who i'm close with but then i just like that uh junior and senior year probably rarely saw him because we were not in the same classes um and then uh but now he's like a professional caddy or something which is cool
1: (laughs) yeah i wonder if like that age difference that we have is if there was already way more specialization happening with the kids that were 10 years younger
0: than me than when i was in high school it did not feel like sitcom high school shows whenever I was there, it felt very clicky. And maybe because the school was so big. We had, like, over 800 students.
1: Yeah, yeah, like, Turner is a big school, but my class happened to be, s- like, one of the smallest graduating classes they'd had, like, in, in the time. Uh-huh. Like, the class that graduated before us was almost 600, but our class was, like, 375. Oh, wow. And then the class after us was, like, over 500. Yeah, we just right. had, like, a weird dip like, no one wanted to have kids in 1982 in Carrollton or something. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, like the, in baseball in high school, like those guys were, even, even those guys weren't totally specialized with baseball. Like the guy who is my friend who was a catcher in baseball, John Nunez, he was like also in choir and glee club and like the version of choir where you dance while you do the choir. Mm-hmm. And he, um, was also, like, in my AP English classes. And then when I would do the AMAT Academy to make movies, I'd use him as, like, an actor in the movies. And, and there was just, like, um, I don't know. It just seemed like everyone kind of... We all did all the stuff. Like, there were p- jocks that were tried out for the musical at school. You oh, yeah, know? that would not happen at and, school. And, like, me, like, I was in the newspaper and debate and theater And, you know, did jazz band for a little while and all that stuff. So it's just like, uh, I don't know. We were all, and all the same people that I knew were in multiple things like that.
0: There was, I I mean, and I, this is why I always say this kind of stuff about Denton. And obviously it's very uh, centered around my experience because I don't know what it was like at Ryan. I only went to Denton Geyer. I was the first a class at Geyer to go from 9th through 12th. Mm -hmm. Um, And it opened with, they didn't have a senior class the first year it opened, so it had to be juniors that then became seniors for some reason. And it just felt like if you did something you weren't supposed to be doing, uh, people seemed to resent you for it. Okay, And I don't know why that was, like, the vibe that I got from so much of Denton. But that's still, like, I remember, like, um, when I was in high school telling people that I wanted to move to L.A. or London or something. I just wanted to, Mm -hmm. like, get out. And they're like, why? You got everything here. (laughs) Um, And it was, you know, I my best friend from high school, we both like, he went to school. Uh, he went to Brown for a year and then he transferred to rice. Um, but once he was done with school, he's like, I'm, I think he worked in Houston for a few years, but he was like out as soon as he could. And both of us are that way. We're, we'll still talk to each other. Like, like, especially around the time of our 10 year reunion, he's like, would you even think of going? I'm like, hell no. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. And, I don't know it's it's one of those things that we feel like both of us have camaraderie because we're like we got out. And he was the type of person there's no way he was going to stick around in Denton. I feel like I was just a few wrong decisions away from being stuck there for the rest of my life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's it's weird. Like I we all dreamed of because we were all like A bunch of dorks we were all like we're all gonna go to new york and we're gonna get on saturday night live together that was like the big uh when we're juniors in high school all the group was talking about and you know i don't know if you you know like who's got a better chance at like making the audition (laughs) bullshit (laughs) like that (laughs) who can do a character who's doing characters
0: yeah i don't even like my good friends in the art class um like i don't know like there was no support for each other i don't know what the deal was but people just didn't support each other at my high school um or at least that i interacted with and yeah
1: maybe yeah maybe it's just a denton thing or it might have to do with it being like that new school too because um farmers branch carrollton got creekview um when it was my senior year Mm -hmm. and like they came and like asked us like as seniors like what would you like in a new high school you know like they when they were laying it out Um, But then when they started enrolling there, they only started with like freshmen and then they added the grades going up. And if you were going to Turner or if you were slated to go to Turner or to Newman Smith, the two older high schools, you could choose to opt out of there to go to the new one. Mm -hmm. Like you had a ability. So like if you didn't think you could make the like there were people that went to Creekview so they could specialize in football because they didn't want to go to Turner for the because Turner had a shitty football program, and you know, but so like Creekview quickly got a very good football team. But mm. it's because a bunch of parents were just like, "This is all my kid's going to be is going to be a yeah. quarterback, and they're going to specialize at being a quarterback." And so they went. So I wonder if like that, having that option of kids being able to volunteer to go there, like self-selected a very specialized group of students that would have been the more like if if they would have had to be more like. Involved in everything if they had gone to the older high school whereas with the new high school It's all new shit and we can just be this and this is all my focus is and I think With especially my brother's age because my brother's a couple years older than you But it does it did feel like Even kids like extracurricular activities. It was no longer you're just doing everything It was like you pick one and then we're going to take lessons for it year round and then in season you'll do that thing and then when it's out of season we'll do like a private version of it and you're just going to focus on baseball or you're just going to focus on being a trombone player and that's all we're focusing on because we're putting all our eggs in this basket for college right
0: yeah i guess maybe college plays into it some i don't know i would have loved to put all of my eggs in the art basket my senior year i took like a graphic design class because the the only other art you could take was AP art and Mm -hmm. you had to put like a portfolio together. And it was very much driven towards you're putting this together to go to college for art. Yeah. And I I knew that I wasn't going to do that. Um, I still am astonished whenever I talk with artists now and just hear how many of them went to college for art and also went and got a master's in fine arts. And I'm just like, That is six years of dedication to learning (laughs) stuff that I now just like uh, Instagram message artists like, hey, for this kind of submission, do I need this? Like, it feels like they learned all those rules of how to submit things and put something together to present it. But having the ability to make art like everybody has the ability to make art. It's just are you going to find something that's unique enough to yourself that you feel like you're expressing something? and or
1: having the intentionality behind whatever you're doing that you're not just accidentally doing cool stuff like you've actually studied all the things so you're standing on those right that came before you and you have this intentionality that you you studied it and you know what those things are and you're incorporating certain things that you're going to reference and it's not just like it's the same with music like you don't you're either like trained and you worked at it to know it or you accidentally stumbled across a chord pattern and you're like wow and like Everyone likes to play that.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it it totally makes sense, but it's it's just so funny to like hear that that's so many people's path. And I totally understand it because I was doing what I thought was the thing that I needed to do to get to where mm-hmm. I was uh, supposed to go. Like, you know, what I thought. And at the same time, you're 18 years old. You don't know much better, but it's, it's always interesting because it's like, I talk to artists, especially, like, through the art scene. So many artists have mentioned to me, like, you know, as artists, we're interested in light and how light interacts with stuff. And I'm like, I don't play with art light at all in my stuff because it's... Like, obviously, there's shading to the details of, like, my stencil work, but it's not... How does light interact against, you know, the shields of these riot cops or whatever? Right, right. Or how am
1: I making sure that the direction of the light is consistent so the shadows make a sense so that when uh, people look at it, they see it as like a three dimensional space and not just like flat lines on a piece of paper?
0: Yeah, but there's, you know, the thing with like light is if I want the emphasis to be between this left and right spectrum, I'm going to pretend like the viewer is the light or whatever. Right, right. But that's like not. That's I don't care about that intentionally too much because my stuff originated from throwing it up on a wall, you know? Right, right. Um, And so, I don't know. It's just the art stuff, like the graphic design thing I did, that was just more art that I could do. And I'm glad I did it because I learned Photoshop and Illustrator and how to put a packet together for kind of uh, graphic design needs or whatever. But... I hate graphic design. I don't. I'm so glad I didn't like do that.
1: It's it, it's like uh, learning AutoCAD. You know, it's right. like a skill you get and you never lose it once you have it. And it's and so like I can't see well enough to really do all of the band flyers anymore. Uh-huh. But I make them all, and they take me a long time. And but the reason I can do it is like my autocad background (laughs) like i could create stuff and know how to do um basic manipulations with shapes and layering and all that type of stuff even in non-autocad programs because they're similar to how autocad used used to operate yeah um but if i didn't have that like i would i i wouldn't be able to do it Like the limit, the limitation I have with the vision would would be too much of a thing to get in in the way of producing it.
0: Yeah, figuring out a new program or whatever. Yeah, yeah.
1: Or and just stupid stuff like, even if I can't see the text boxes that I'm putting on the screen and all that stuff, I know just things I know about about how to function with it. That if I didn't have that previous experience, I wouldn't be able to do.
0: Yeah, the were. Did Blink get together when they were, like, teenagers? Have they always been? They've been in different bands, but... Yeah, it's, um...
1: They got together early on, what is it, 1993? It's teenagers and... Well, but it wasn't Travis. Right, okay. Travis came later, like, after the third record.
0: Oh, really? Yeah.
1: Because they had, like... They were on a different label, and they had, like, two, um, sort of underground, kind of punky records that came out. Uh Uh-huh. Um, And then Dude Ranch, I don't think Travis is on Dude Ranch. I think he's on the f- next one. But Dude Ranch is Where Damn It Is, the oh, song they really? ended with. And uh-huh. that came out in 95, 95 or 96, because I was playing that at the roller skating rink before I graduated from high school. So, And then the whatever, Enema of the State came out and that was my senior year of high school or at the end of my senior year of high school and that whole summer was everybody going crazy over all those videos on TRL.
0: Yeah. I my experience with Blink was getting their greatest hits album like my junior year of high school. <laughs> so
1: yeah, like I remember there was like it was either the like MTV would do the MTV Summer Beach House thing. In the summertime and there would be like a bunch of people all naked in a pool partying and bands would play. But Mm -hmm. they would also do like the spring break one too on MTV, the big spring break party. And it was it was either the summer beach house or the spring break party. But that was one that was like the first time I saw Travis play with them. And it was really fast. Like he played everything super fast, (laughs) like faster than it was recorded on anything. Uh To the point where, like, Mark started singing, "Can't keep up," because you can't can't get all the syllables in. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I I remember that, and I I feel like that was like '99 or something like that.
0: See, I feel like the music was. I was too young to listen to it when it came out. I was not going to relate to the song "Damn It" when I was seven. And, uh, you know, definitely wasn't going to say, damn it. <laughs> um, and so my listening to it was, like, retroactive to their rise. Yeah, yeah. And it felt like it was, you know, like I was describing kind of their emo songs and stuff like that. It felt like it was, you know, relevant to something. But I didn't feel like I was growing up with them. Mm-hmm. Whereas it felt like most of the arena last night felt like they grew up, like these were stages in their life. Yeah, yeah. For when these songs came out. Like the, even the What's My Age again, like that was a fun song that I saw on TV. But it, I wasn't, I was still in probably high school whenever I was seeing it. Like, Mm -hmm. and it was probably old by that point. Yeah. If I had been in my 20s and, Whatever. I feel like maybe that's the kind of person I would have been, like somebody who's doing prank phone calls or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in middle school, we tried to do stuff like everybody did, but we tried to do, like, jackass-type stuff, you know, (laughs) setting up our bike ramps to go off into a ditch. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. And so I definitely was kind of in that vein, but for me, Blink was—I did not grow up with them. Did you—I mean, I think— I feel like Jorts
1: and I were, like— we're We were both like the elder statesman of the crowd last night, right? Like because they really popped when we were in college. Okay. like when they when it really took off for them um, was right when we got to college. So but like Jake, Jake is the perfect age where it was everything happened for Blink when he was in high school. And like early blink when he first started getting into it was junior high. So like that six year span. Was perfectly coincided with the rise and and reaching the pinnacle status of Blink One Eighty Two. Yeah, like I'm TC is an interesting case too. Like it happened because he was younger, right? And then like he was in incarcerated for like their time when they were really touring as the biggest band in the world, and then I think. They broke up like the t- right when he got out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but he, he like knew all the words and knows everything too, especially for someone who like has such nostalgia for like early, mid 90s soft alternative rock that TC does. Yeah. That, the fact that he also has a big blink catalog in his brain is pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely an interesting case because it, I could tell you know, sitting next to Jake and Jake's described this, I think like on the radio before, but definitely on IJB, like he's, he wants to let go and really emote with the songs and everything like that, which was so cool to see. Um, cause I'm not like that at all. I don't, I don't sing along with songs. Maybe if I saw idols, I would sing along with their songs.
1: Get that gravelly in your
0: (laughs) voice and you go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would definitely, uh, move around probably more for idols. Um, But, and I was sitting next to Greg, too, and seeing him, like, you know, jumping to the songs and everything like that, it was interesting because I feel like, for me, it's the music, not a time in my life. Right, right. And I don't know. So, I think it's kind of interesting that they were popping off whenever you were in college because I feel like that's the demographic for, you know, seriously, like, the What's My Age Again song is, like, exactly that time frame
1: yeah it like so m- the beginning of college for me it's you know 9 11 happens <laughs> and so like music's getting gets fucking weird uh-huh. um for for a little bit like everyone starts to like a lot of my friends got into like um uh like hardcore rap at that period um Because, like, a lot of the other music that would be on the radio was, like, overly sappy, patriotic shit that was getting played. Yeah. Even if it wasn't, like, a country song, like, even, like, rock stations and shit. Um, So that's really the period where, like, my, the big shift that felt among my friend group was, like, we were all just fucking only listening to, like, DMX. And, like, Juvenile, we watched that last night, we listen to a ton of Juvenile, Listen to a ton of Ludacris and uh lots of um andre 3000 and big boy and everything so like that was the big shift um and it's not like it wasn't like no one listened to blink 182 in college or like we didn't listen to it in the car or watch it on trl or whatever but it was almost like okay that's for the that's that was for the high school kids like that's what those if you went back to a high school football game after you were in college like that was the experience of listening to Blink-182 when you were in
0: college. You mm-hmm. know, like,
1: if you went back to check on all those underclassmen to see if they're still hanging around <laughs> the school.
0: Okay. Yeah. I mean, the my break with music is just such a... Like, I definitely knew all the rock, like, the... You know, I definitely saw the popular songs from System of a Down. Definitely saw that one song, Downfall. I like, can't trust company. Um, and you know Chevelle, like all of those hits, that for some,
1: oh man, if you like if you like snowboarding, those Chevelle videos are cool.
0: Those were sick, but (laughs) for some reason, K Rock, those are still the only songs they play. And if I put it on on the radio, the rock station in L.A. Mm -hmm. It's just like, can we get something from this century, please?
1: I guess that's another reason why I was I'm drawn to Turnstile. Like in some ways, they really have a a little bit of a not they're they're better musicians and the songs are way better but they have a little bit of nostalgic feel to taking back sunday for me okay. i don't know if you listen to taking back sunday a lot but that was not another sort lot. of turn of the century emo hardcore band that had some cool shit that was going on but didn't like go fully mainstream they yeah. got big but not like huge
0: yeah i i knew about them were they from texas or something like for some reason it felt like they were where they're from much more local there was a a band that was modeled after them in denton that uh my friend's older brother played in i never saw them but there was something thursday something and um but so i for a time like in uh middle school tried to get into kind of emo music but it was just i don't know
1: you were never a big My Chemical Romance fan? Or I the definitely,
0: used. I had, not the used, but I had uh, two My Chemical Romance albums. I had the, uh, the one before, no, maybe I had three. What was the one before um, the Black Parade? The uh, Sweet Love Revenge, Something Love Revenge. Yeah, I think I had the that. The the
1: two looking like anime characters about to kiss on the front?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think I had that one. That was the,
1: that was the big one that popped off all their first like big video hits
0: on your TV. And then definitely had the black parade. And then no, I'm thinking a good Charlotte. I had two good Charlotte albums. The, they had the one that had the lifestyles of the rich and the famous. Can't remember the name of that album may have been that. And then the one after that, that they came out with like two different versions, like the story of life or the story (laughs) of death. And, you know, um, and I was drawn to the cause, death Because
1: they're twins, you know, so you get to play both sides. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, so, but after that, I mean, seriously, it just, the electronic music felt like I grew up with that much more. I started working at a movie theater. Uh, one of my friends there, um, she was real cool. She uh, was from Russia, so I'm like, she understands electronic music better than I ever could. Yeah, naturally. And... She would, like, you know, just make a bunch of CDs for me because I was like, I'm kind of into electronic music. She's like, What do you like? And I was like, "Uh, I don't know. I have this song, this song, but I don't know. I want something more this way. And she would just rip me off like seven CDs. And I still have all those songs. No idea what the names of the songs are. (laughs) They're still just listed (laughs) as the number. You're going to shazam your old electronic songs to see if it comes up. I have shazammed them trying to go through and finally put, you know, titles to it. And sometimes Shazam's just like, I got no clue what this is. Yeah.
1: I feel like Shazam is looking for the hook of the melody and it may be tough to figure that out in a bunch of electronic music.
0: I think because she definitely had to have gotten it from like Napster or something like that, that it had to, it had to be ripped from like a live set or whatever. I have oh, a yeah. bunch of live sounding. Like that song I sent you, the one that's like the, the, you know, do you believe in a God that. Makes you you believe, and uh, that one you look it up and it's like this is a Tiesto song. You cannot find from Tiesto that version that has those lyrics,
1: (laughs) it was just something he dropped in a live set.
0: I don't know if he even dropped it at a live set, but I think,
1: yeah, a DJ remixed his electronic song and dropped that into it.
0: Yeah, it was something like that. Um, but it's something where. You know, at this point it's been so many years since that song came out. I'm like, did he remove the lyrics from that song because <laughs> he doesn't want it to be controversial or whatever?
1: <laughs> did you did you see the thing about the the offspring controversy?
0: They're a rock band, right? Yeah, they're a rock band I from, mean, from the early 90s. One of the pedophile groups.
1: No, no, they play they're the ones that are all smart. The guitarist like went to MIT and has a major has a doctorate in physics and shit um i'm not you know all their songs okay nah, nah, why don't you get a job not ringing a bell uh anyway um they uh they just had a big re-release of their most popular album that came out when i was like in eighth grade mm-hmm. and uh i it, something happened i guess the label messed up sending the masters to get it reproduced but the one that got reproduced to make this commemorative album that's sold in stores is the clean version of all the songs. Oh no! And so they had to put they put out this big thing, this big press statement that's just full of cuss words to, to <laughs> let everyone know how much they like cussing and that they're going to fix the situation so that the cuss words will return to the music.
0: <laughs> oh, that sucks. Yeah, I saw some video on Instagram. Some guy like printed out his his, his children's book that's t- dealing with like you know. Feeling like you're different than everybody else, and just in the middle of it is a calendar of cats shitting. Oh no. (laughs) 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 He's like, I have no idea how this, like, he's showing, like, the version he got from them, like the test version before they mass printed it, and something screwed up. Yeah, somebody slipped a
1: proof accidentally in the middle of the stack.
0: Yeah, yeah, which is, it's fantastic because it's not even just a calendar of cats. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so, I mean, the. I would love to do a a show sometime where I'm taking you through my electronic journey.
1: Oh, yeah. We could play, play, play it all behind us, and we deconstruct it as we go along. Yeah.
0: I think it's just whenever I say I listen to electronic music, I get kind of a sideways glance from a lot of people because they're like, <laughs> so you like the... Mm-ts, mm-ts, mm-ts. Yeah.
1: So how do you... Are, is it because you're deaf? Yeah. I you just, can only feel the bass, so that's what draws you to it.
0: Yeah. I don't know. There's something about it for me like this is kind of the trying to tie it in with like the blink fe- everybody feeling that way it's, you know i can't hear lyrics and songs it's just yeah yeah you said this before you never developed that skill it's like
1: a weird dyslexia that yeah. you you have like your brain just can't pick out words from music
0: brain's too big in other parts you know yeah yeah too many folds on the on the I'm not. I, I'm not even good at anything, so I don't know. Maybe my brain's flat.
1: <laughs> just, just the cerebral cortex instead of going into all the folds. Yeah. everywhere. It's just this big, smooth, like a cue ball.
0: Yeah, maybe it's lumpy. <laughs> they they push out instead of folding in. Uh, but the the thing with the electronic music that I listen to, it's not the uns 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 kind of stuff, and it's not the party music that people think electronic music is like everybody loves a good electronic set when they're out the pool yeah when it's building summer. up
1: and everyone's anticipating the drop
0: yeah like I hate the chain smokers and I know that <laughs> if I was to get into a discussion with TC he would be like yeah you know they're great it was so fun and it's like I they're not
1: no I couldn't stand them at hangout <laughs> especially after seeing marshmallow first like See Marshmallow, and then go see the Chain set. It's like watching like a professional baseball team, and then going to like watch the little league play. Yeah, across is is not even close
0: of an experience. But there's an ability in that music to make it emotional. Um, and, yeah 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 and not the swells
1: it, and all the shit that you can do you yeah. can really manipulate manipulate the crowd
0: yeah and it helps me understand some lyrics in the song if they're repeated multiple times like the, i
1: can't stop 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 yes, stop, yeah. stop 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 uh,
0: stop i mean i love flux pavilion um <laughs> there's a video of him that he put out it's um i think it's called daydreaming and i recommend people look it up because you you hear this music And you think, like, oh, it's all done on the computer and everything. And they have, like, the full video of them using all instruments. Yeah, actual
1: analog stuff.
0: Yeah, and that's how he makes the songs. And that's how a lot of them make the songs. It's not, like, just clicking and dragging, which is a skill in and of itself. I don't—obviously, I'm going to defend it and not say it's computer music.
1: Did you ever—were you ever into Radiohead? No. If you want to get into Radiohead, you should start with Kid A, which is also their, like, turn-of-the-century album, which really changed music in a lot of the ways coming off of OK Computer with all so much guitar rock and this amazing album that everyone, like, heralded as, like, a masterpiece in 1998. Yeah. And then Kid A comes out, and they intentionally didn't use a guitar on the album. Okay. So it's an electronic album, but it is all practical, analog, created. Yeah. Like in the studio, like to change the sound, they take the actual cable out of one input and then plug it into a different input, so that the filter sound will start to change in a different waveform. Yeah. And so watching them like perform it like live on SNL, and then like they have like a whole um, sort of documentary made of them in the studio, try to perform, trying to come up with how to perform the songs. Yeah. It's wild, just because like they're actively like twisting real manual knobs all over the fucking stage it looks like the it looks like fucking NASA from 1960 sending people to the moon like all real dials and real buttons on everything yeah. you know no not a laptop in sight no digital cre- creation at any part
0: I mean that's why like I really love Daft Punk's music because they're they're extremely musical about all of it mm. and they have like you know a lot of emotional songs one of their songs Uh, I forget the title of it, but it's on the random access memories that I think is the perfect description for what depression feels like. Okay. And their, their stuff is so well musically put together, but on their album, um, the, uh, the random access memories they have, I think it's track three is the, uh, Giorgio Mordor song. and, it's the one where it's like the German guy talking about mm-hmm. being a m- musician. And then he decided he wanted to make an album that sounded had the sounds of the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, and a sound of the future. And he realized that the synthesizer was the sound of the future. Yeah. And so he's like, so he put a click on a 24 track and they incorporate his big song uh, that's Like, they incorporate that into that song. That's Mm -hmm. kind of the bass sound that you have of that song. Or the... Not bass as in B-A-S-S. The B-A-S-E bass. Yeah, yeah. And it is shocking to go back and listen to that song like an electronic song from the 70s because it sucks (laughs)
1: look this we can make this synthesizer sound just like an electronic guitar and it's (laughs) like no it doesn't yeah it's 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 just all different variations of cat screeching noises
0: right yes (laughs) it's very off um i don't know so there's there's an evolution to electronic music that it got to a point where you can have some emotion to it instead of just trying to do a disco track you know this is starting to make
1: sense to me now. Why you also like Seinfeld so much? Why is that? So Seinfeld, you know, have you ever watched the creation of the theme song for Seinfeld? No. So it's not a bass guitar. It's not a guitar on that at all. Oh, really? That all that, just a synthesizer, and a dude is doing it on a keyboard and bending the bend knob, and he would do a different one for every episode. Yeah, it's not a repeat of the song. It has to cue up with whatever Jerry's joke is going to be. So they'd send him the tape of what the intro was, and then he'd watch it, and then right when like the punchline would hit or the crowd would start to laugh, is when he'd do like the first little bass slide, and then he'd wait for the next one, and then he'd do it, and then he'd hit it into the big long one. You know that would lead into the intro credits. Yeah. So, but it's different every time. He had to do a new one every single <laughs> every I mean, single. The show's episode. genius. Um. But yeah he's like uh was a very early like synthesizer musician guy like involved in like helping design synthesizers and stuff so all of that is just created by his synthesizer machine that he has in his studio and he's got like these old ass like green and black crt monitors in there that are like helping him keep track of what it is next to like this little bitty uh 11 inch tv where he runs the the episode on so he can make sure he's syncing it up right
0: yeah yeah (laughs) maybe we'll go watch that now
1: (laughs) but anyway yeah so blink did it i mean it did make you nostalgic for high school even though you weren't there because obviously you just spent the last hour talking about high school so it did do something to you
0: unfortunately yeah i'm i'm not big on nostalgia i don't like it well
1: (laughs) (laughs) no i i was very emotional like when mark introed adam's song um, and he used it first. He did told the story about earlier in the, um, nineties about, um, being suicidal and not knowing if he was going to commit suicide or not. And amongst us, then also relaying it to like the juxtaposition of then being in your forties and being diagnosed with stage four lymphoma and having to go through all that again, where you like don't want to live, but it's like for a different reason. It's not like the same yeah. teenage angst that made you want to kill yourself. It's like a... I can't continue doing this fight. I just don't have the energy in me in me anymore. And the having a arena of twenty thousand people that have just been going crazy the whole night, all of a sudden just become silent while he was talking about that. Yeah. And like no no one chatting, not one person using this as an opportunity to talk to their friend about what song's coming next. Like you could hear a pin drop and. The it must be this immense amount of like gravity that you feel on stage when there's 20,000 people and they're quiet. Yeah. Like where you can hear yourself breathe while you're saying it, because I, I that the the weight of that experience, even though he must say this spiel every single night on tour, like he was getting choked up giving the they been the talk about it. Just talking about how much he actually appreciates like uh, Tom and Travis because like most of the set, their banter is about like making fun of each other and kicking each other in the dick yeah. and like belittling each other like we used to do in high school. But to have like a, a actual sincere moment, that was fucking heavy. And uh, like he started choking up before the song started, which made me just start fucking losing my shit. <laughs> Something about like seeing men my age like try to hold it together, but you can tell they they're can't quite hold it together. Like, yeah. that gets me every time. But then, just also then, the actual emotion of the song, what the song's about, having, like, have my own shit with um, being suicidal and, like, not thinking that I'd see the next day. Like, th- just so many things, like, suddenly swell up inside you that you just can't, you can't prevent the tears. Like, it's almost stupid to try to hold it back. So, like, TC's standing next to me, like, the songs are going off and he's trying to <laughs> make funny jokes <laughs> afterwards and i'm still like wiping giant globs of tears on my cheeks <laughs> like what am i doing i'm at a blink 182 show and i've lost my shit so i, I don't know but it was but i don't think it was i was i wasn't the only one in the group in our group who is totally still in touch with their emotions
0: yeah no i mean maybe i should sit between you and tc next time cuz <laughs> i was definitely prepared to write at the end of that song uh, turn to Greg and Jake and go, and you know that's named after a Mister Show sketch. <laughs> uh, just to just to relieve the tension because yeah. <laughs> crying for me is a tense experience. So, and this, it was like
1: it was tears of having like those empathetic um, relationships to the material of the song. Yeah, but Mark's ending of his speech was like very uplifting. Yeah, because, you know, he's in remission and like he's got these guys and they're back on tour. And it's like that his cancer really brought the band back together. Like they were at odds with each other. But the thing that was big, bigger than them that got them to actually talk to each other and be friends again and say this is bigger than all of our petty bullshit was that. Um, And so there was like it's crying, but it's also like a euphoric, like hopefulness to it all. You're smiling through the tears the whole time. It's it's. It's not even conflicting emotions it's just more like a like a cornucopia of of experience like you're 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 tasting it all like it's all happening at once and you like you're writing you're writing the whole thing writing the whole wave
0: yeah I mean I wish I could release can't do it
1: it's all gonna happen one time like you're just, for no reason, you're going to be just sitting somewhere in the most inappropriate time. And, like, it's all going to hit you all this time. It's going to catch up with you. And everyone's going to look at you like you're schizophrenic.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's why I think, like, something like, um, I don't know. Maybe I've seen Rusko twice. And he's he's an amazing live performer. Love most of his songs. They're I know British people hate him because they're, like... Like his music destroyed dubstep, but uh, his stuff is like pretty good and it got me through some pretty dark times. Um, but I feel like even seeing him wouldn't do it, I don't know, man. Oh, broke your glasses. Oh, well,
1: they were going to eventually after I kept spinning them.
0: Yeah, uh, making you nervous in this room together. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: I'm, wor- I'm worried you're gonna jump me.
0: <laughs> well, I'm blocking the door. Yeah, yeah, you,
1: you, well, you showed up at the airport all jacked, and I was like. <laughs> Where's this waif that I've always known? I don't know if we can be friends anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah, no. Can't sit in the back seat with you and, and TC. <laughs> yeah, how are
1: we all going to fit in, in Justin's car next time? I'm going to have to sit in Justin's lap. You're going to have to just strap me to the roof, I think. <laughs> yeah. I or throw me in the trunk. Although, he's always there's always a lot of stuff in the trunk.
0: Well, you got to... When you have a bleeding heart like me and Justin...
1: Yeah, you always have like a full like pack of diapers to donate at the next place you see you always have like a big thing of water and uh you're always going to like the next event where you're going to donate a lot of things
0: right yeah that's why my backpack's so heavy all the time
1: (laughs) just full of all these laptops you've been neglecting to donate
0: not laptops no just water water's heavy water and d batteries yeah the so i gotta fix you know the smoke alarms um (laughs) the emotional side of it was really cool to see it's an it's i enjoy that other people can express it mm-hmm. um but yeah was, you
1: weren't over there laughing at us calling us no F-slur, no no no, no. slur this
0: slur that no i think it's really cool um to be able to do that you know to because i think you know especially for my upbringing in particular and my age group but is probably very similar for you. Like guys uh, crying in public is not yeah not cool. And you know, e- even you like, you know, making that joke, like saying that what were you calling us F Slurs like <laughs> you know, you feel kind of bad about it. A yeah, little yeah, bit, yeah. To you have extent. this
1: internalized shame monster that's like saying all the stuff to you that all the kids in, in high school and coaches and teachers used to say to you, which was mostly just calling you an F all the time. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah. And, uh, you know, or parents calling you an F yeah. for, um, you know, liking to draw. <laughs> uh, so it is one of the signs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so having seen that and then, um, you know experienced it with with you guys and like seeing it you know kind of at the rage show i think like yeah yeah. everybody was really vibing and feeling it there there Um, there was
1: an overwhelming of emotion especially at the very outset of rage like it was it was tears euphoria anger everything was all just like exploding in those first couple songs
0: yeah i mean i the rage show for me definitely clicked on an emotional level more than the blink show i love the, the seeing the blink show and everything, I was there for the experience of it Mm -hmm. more than like these songs have shaped my life and rage. I didn't listen to until well after they were like probably broken up. Um, but the politics angle of it definitely hits me a lot harder. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, but
1: well and that their stuff was so much more artistically moving too like all yeah, their presentation the was and trying to they were obviously trying to tug at your heartstrings by showing you the different things from
0: chiapas and everything right yeah which is you know who hearts go out to them um but the i'm at a point now i think where i can't express emotion in that way but I swear to God, if somebody says something to you for tearing up, I will rip their head off.
1: <laughs> if anyone sincerely called you a pussy, for what are you hanging out with all these pussies crying all the time? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, yeah. It, and not like I was expecting it or something, but don't worry. I'm on the lookout for you. Yeah. All right.
1: Thanks for having my back. No problem. We, uh, us, Us emotional little pansies always need a tough guy in our corner.
0: I'm not a tough guy. Just, <laughs> I'll
1: just kill somebody if they make fun of yeah. <laughs> you. Yeah, thanks for being my guardian angel. Of
0: course. <laughs>
1: yeah. So Blink was really awesome. You should go see them if they come to your town. I mean, only if you don't have to pay eight hundred dollars for it. Don't pay eight hundred dollars for it if you don't have to.
0: No, that was. I wanted to see Idols whenever they came through on their like tour with LCD Sound System yeah, or whatever. Yeah. I don't care about any of the other bands. On I don't even know what type of music LCD sound system makes.
1: Electronic.
0: I th- Yeah, that's what I thought because their name is LCD. Uh, it's
1: electronic with vocals and like background vocal arrangements and stuff like that.
0: Sure, it's lovely, but I didn't want Fun wanna, to dance to. I didn't want to see anybody else. I just wanted to see idols. And I was so pissed because when they were in Boston a few weeks ago... Idols announced on Instagram. They're just like, we're doing a $20 at-the-door show at oh, this place. Oh, shit. I was expecting them to do that in L.A., but they didn't.
1: They played here, like, last week? It was the LCD Idol show. Yeah. Or two weeks ago. And I forget what. Like, Jorts was there, but it got rained out. They were yeah. at an indoor venue, but they decided to have an outdoor stage at the indoor venue. Yeah. And I think Idols played most of their set, but LCD got rained out because of it i can't remember if they actually ended up playing a set inside or if they just sent everybody home now i was talking with jorts about it and i don't even remember what our conversation we were pretty fucked up a couple weeks ago when we were talking about this (laughs) so i don't even remember how the conversation went
0: (laughs) see you can forget conversations yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah Uh, it's we were just riding our high from our double wide show together just hanging out you know too many people interrupting us because we're so famous to to remember how the train of that conversation went
0: yeah there was a guy that stopped like tc and jake at the double ac real quick yeah just to say what's up
1: yeah mino stopped us out in the out in the concourse me and jorts when we were walking back from the bathroom gave us a hug it's been a while since i've been around mino he's looking looking beautiful
0: i i had i never met him and then he the way that he came up and like Jake was sitting there, and then it was me and Greg. Mm-hmm. And I assumed he didn't know Greg. Otherwise, he would have said yeah, something. Yeah, know Mino doesn't know Greg. And so, you know, I didn't expect Jake to, like, introduce us. And then I also definitely, I started talking to Greg, because in my head I was like, I don't want Mino to think that Jake sat down and somebody's just talking his ear off about, you know, radio or oh, something. Oh, yeah, 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 So I just, like, quickly, like, diverted my attention mm. instead of... <laughs> Suddenly, I don't. I don't
1: want Mino to know I listened to the ticket.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know what to say. He's obviously there to to talk to Jake and like you know say hi to everybody else, mm-hmm. and so I didn't want to be like, "Hi, it's nice to meet you," because he would again just think like, "Oh, you're just a guy who's." Is... You
1: just didn't done like a fart noise with your mouth, and you be like, "Remember when you play that drop?"
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> That's I'm... my favorite. That one. The where you go, I can't even do it. Oh, fuck. <laughs> that was that was a that was a windy one. Yeah. Uh,
0: so that was. But that was kind of cool, you know. It it feels like I imagined uh, being in Dallas is like. So thank you for showing me around. Yeah,
1: it's nice that you finally got to experience Dallas.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to the Lizard Lounge
1: tonight. We should we should go see what's up. Yeah. <laughs> who's who's rocking the Lizard Lounge? Yeah. I'm down to go to Depot, and we could go get go see if we can get, you know, hang out around two a.m. See what kind of trouble we can get to, get into.
0: I don't know. Everybody's been high tension here the whole time
1: <laughs> just, you're hanging around all the people that are bringing out the high tension in, interactions i guess if you would have been standing with me and jorts all night there's no high tension interaction at all with anybody no i was vibing Public with transit was great with us we made friends boy, on the train
0: me and jorts had a different perspective on transit than you two did because <laughs> we were talking about how um, like the the that escalator we took down oh yeah yeah was just so long and i've taken long escalator rides before but something about that one
1: there's three of you well you think of the first one and you're like oh yeah we're definitely deep enough and then you turn you're like oh we got to go down one more you're like obviously we're deep enough now oh there's one more to go down <laughs> yeah
0: i think it was the one to the the final floor and it, there was something that just clicked in me maybe my mind was altered a little bit mm. but i i heard the announcement like the and yeah. then them announce whatever and just immediately was i was like oh this is what purgatory is So <laughs> we is, made it yeah i was like i'm dead and i'm in purgatory and i like had to look back up the escalator to make sure we had been making progress yeah to
1: convince yourself that you could still get back out <laughs> it was
0: it felt like we were just stuck in the same like 200 feet of escalator on like a perpetual loop that just somehow was never ending I had a great idea for a music video where it's somebody who's like sitting on an escalator but he's the cameras flipped like he's it looks like he's writing down but then he like gets stands up on it actually and he had been sitting you know leaning back over the step oh yeah of actually yeah, yeah, yeah on it so that's copyrighted now that it's out in the public domain <laughs> and So I was just talking with Jorts about it and describing how if I've ever been in a mind-altered state before, stuff just always goes weird for me. I don't know why my phone, like apps I have don't open, can't connect the TV (laughs) to Wi-Fi, just stuff like that. And now I just accept it as part of the experience Uh, It sucks and it really freaks me out, but I just accept it. (laughs) And then we get onto the train where the guy is shining the shoes on the steps to get up into the subway and I have to walk over him as the doors are closing in on both of my shoulders (laughs) and then watching him and the guy right next to him arguing with each other (laughs) was just, so that was my experience with public transit and explaining to Jorts and he's we just kept turning to each other and going, chalk this up as well. (laughs) You know? Well,
1: that's the beautiful, beautiful thing about having a public transit journey in Dallas is that it adds a certain element of adventure to any, any night that you're going to have. It really was an adventure. I I don't think really anybody in the group other than me and TC knew that there was a subway station in Dallas. Yeah. That was like more than 10 stories underground.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was great. I mean, I of course would love that experience taking you guys around Tokyo Would be totally different, Um, you know, mind-altered substance uh, illegality aside. Boy, that would be fun. (laughs)
1: Well, we'd all be smacked out of our minds on beer.
0: Yeah, which is not as fun. Yeah. Because then you get queasy as people are squeezing it. Jake could not handle the... Oh, yeah. How close everybody well, is. Well, I was
1: worried for him because he gets pretty claustrophobic. So I was worried about what his feeling was going to be going down those escalators into the tunnel
0: underground. Yeah. I think the train came quick enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, I've explained the experience of the guy puke, projectile puking yes. next to me and Miho and me nearly saying words to him mm-hmm. no i said words to people all the time the thing that really freaks people out in japan is when you yell at them in english because then they're like oh shit i He's may serious. be serious yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're like
1: there's something we've in, woken the sleeping giant again
0: <laughs> right in in you know japan and the culture and everything it's like reserving yourself is while it's really hard to do that's what everybody's going to do yeah yeah like there are prank shows and stuff they they uh, sometimes will prank people that are living in Japan, not Japanese themselves, mm-hmm. even though they've become super accustomed Call to Call immigrants. Yes, they immigrated to Japan, um, probably see themselves as quite Japanese and everything. There's like an Italian guy that they they did a prank on where they're like, you know, this lower level person is going to talk to you, kind of insult your career mm-hmm. and see what happens and they were just like how are non-japanese people gonna react and they did it to this italian guy and he's like you want to be punched right now like just immediately <laughs> and they like had to rush into the room like it was a joke it was it's a prank a yeah, it's um, <laughs> just because like the like they'll have prank shows where you flip on the lights to your apartment and somebody is laying in your bed yeah yeah and it's a good way to get shot in america it's a great way to at least get punched you know because <laughs> you don't know why the person's there and if they're celebrities then they deal with people who are kind of stalkerish or whatever yeah, yeah yeah and so it's just amazing to see somebody stand there just going like who are you what do you want can you please leave my place and you're just like what like i would be out the front door holding it closed um yeah you what know. what is it
1: in the Japanese amygdala that like can bypass the fight or flight to just reservation? just sit still and don't <laughs>
0: that's, that's what a collectivist society yeah is, that's what DC. it does it, it yeah. over
1: it overrides your your primitive amygdala responses to everything and you just wait to see what the next person next to you is gonna do <laughs> and so everyone just as a group sits still and waits to see what's gonna
0: happen <laughs> yeah I mean that's why like the you know yeah. That's the experience there. So having somebody who's drunk and the most anybody will do is just like, why is this guy so drunk? And instead of taking their newspaper and slapping them across the face (laughs) or something like, you know, I was riding the bus in Chicago and I had like my, my charging, my phone charger kind of hanging out of my backpack and it was like dangling next to a guy. He's like, better get that cord out of my face. (laughs) (laughs) And, that would not happen in Japan. People would just be <laughs> upset that I had the cord out. Yeah,
1: but they wouldn't even tell you about it. No, probably as a, not. Even, not even like as a courtesy. Like in Texas, someone might be like, oh, hey. And, you know, they let you, or they might even like start to tuck it back up yeah. for you. And then you'll, you would turn around and be like, what the fuck? And then right. they'd be like, oh, I'm just trying to help you add your cord.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely be the person like, oh, I think this is hanging out, you know? But that's because I'm in L.A. We're chill.
1: Well, no, you grew up in Texas, so you understand Southern hospitality
0: yeah uh, point me to Southern hospitality after this. Let's <laughs> okay. go see some.
1: <laughs> all right, ma'am. Well, that was an excellent experience. Thank you for coming to Dallas, and maybe one day you'll come back again. We yeah. didn't ruin it for you.
0: No, it's been great. Um I don't it know it's been a many... hundred degrees, but no, uh thank you for lowering the temperature a few degrees. yeah, um, I don't know how many bars we did, but sorry if this was really long.
1: It's fine we we'll, we're just gonna have to break this one up into like four different podcasts. And just have to get to part two of Christianity in a month. Is that your buy? (laughs) Sure.